We continue uh, the Advent series that we're, we've been on this month, The Wonder of Christmas, and today I want to talk about the wonder of a promise. I've selected for our text today from Isaiah chapter 7, one verse, verse 14, Isaiah 7, 14, and there is a wonderful promise contained therein, and I hope it'll be a great blessing to you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll project this uh, one verse on the screen. Our custom is to stand. Would you, as you're able, please, to hear God's word. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Can you say that with me? God with us. One more time. God with us. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Hey, life can be confusing. Can I get a witness? And dark. Life can be confusing. It can be upsetting, right? We can, we can find ourselves from time to time in seasons of our lives when it just feels like, it just seems like there are very few people who are smiling on us, looking out for us, understanding us, trying to figure out what's going on with us. And it can issue forth into great confusion and even deep loneliness. You have in your outline today a a simple two-point message, a good holiday sermon. Two points, come on, holiday sermon, two points. This is the the reward you get for uh, braving the weather and the closed road and everything else to get here today. On your outline, you'll see that there's a, a promise that's been given, and it's a promise you receive, a promise you receive. That's what you need. Now, on the outside of that, you'll see in parentheses, you are never alone. You know, some of us feel alone. Some of us actually live alone. And the holidays, for some reason or another, tend to exacerbate whatever feelings of despair or melancholy or loneliness that we may we have. It may be the crowds that are hustling and bustling about, and they remind us of loved ones who are lost and now gone, and we're apart from them, and Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's some other feature of your experience in your life that, that, that brings up bad experiences this time of year and it creates this melancholy or this uh, sadness or maybe even grief. Loneliness can grip your life. Well, there are many reasons why the baby Jesus came to the earth, but one of the main reasons, most important reasons, is so that we would never have to be alone. I want you to get that today. Never have to be alone so that you would never have to face into whatever dark places or difficult places or challenging places in your life that you would never have to do that alone. God is with us. He is Emmanuel. And this is a wonderful, wonderful promise. Now let me tell you a story. Years ago, we sensed that God was calling us, inspiring us as a church, Union Chapel, to go to some place in the world where the people there had never heard the gospel. The Apostle Paul said, recorded in the book of Acts, he said, I've always had an ambition to preach the gospel where it's never been heard. You are aware, of course, that there are places in the world that still exist where the gospel of Jesus Christ has never been preached. People in our world, people, groups of people, cultures of people, held together by language and culture and and other creeds, where they've never heard the name of Jesus. And so the wonderful mandate of the gospel is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. And so we had an ambition to do that. 
And over a course of a few years, we discerned that God was asking us to go to a place in Central Asia, part of the former Soviet Union, a country called Kazakhstan. And so that's where we went. We had some very brave and committed, courageous members of our own congregation who uprooted their lives from Muncie and actually relocated to Kazakhstan, Central Asia. Uh, our original team had about 10 people uh, on it, and it was an amazing thing. And they went to a village in southern Kazakhstan, rural Kazakhstan, among some of the traditional Muslim cultured people in Kazakhstan, and they settled in a village that we selected called Bayerjan Mumshala. Bayerjan Mumshala. And they were there, and they were, they were working for our humanitarian aid company, which we had formed here at Union Chapel, called Interlink Resources. That was the umbrella under which we did all of our initiatives in Kazakhstan. And so they were there professionally as, as medical personnel, uh, helping facilitate resources to a local hospital, doing medical conferencing and such. And so they maintained a professional profile under the banner of our humanitarian aid company. And at the same time, they began to learn the language, began to ad adjust to the culture, and also make friends among the Kazakhs, and eventually began to win people to Jesus. Now, fast forward two years, approximately, after our team had arrived in Bayerjan Mumshala. Now, in Kazakhstan, you go hundreds of miles away to the north and to the east from where our team was living in Bayerjan. And there's a woman there, and it's the middle of the night, and she is desperate. And the reason she is desperate is because her husband is an alcoholic, and he, when he gets drunk, which is often, he beats her. And she makes a fateful decision in the middle of a winter night after her husband has beaten her yet once again. She realizes that the next time he may beat her to death. And so she gathers up her two small children. One was two and the other three. And she gathered them up. She doesn't have any money. She doesn't have any possessions. She just gra grabs the children and heads to the train station in her village. And when the train stops, she begs her way onto the train. The weather is deteriorating in the middle of the winter and a storm is blowing up. And now she and her two children are huddled together in this train and they ride the train for hours. Hundreds of miles pass underneath them. It's about 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning and now the storm has become a full-fledged blizzard and she is sitting there trying to rest, trying to imagine what's going to happen to her and a thought crosses her mind. And the thought is, get off at the next stop. At first, she dismisses the thought. That's not, that's not a good idea. I don't have anything. I don't know anyone. I have no money. There's a blizzard outside. It's the middle of the night. It's still dark. She dismisses it. But the thought persists as the train is slowing to the next stop. It's been stopping several times through the night. But the next stop the thought once again goes through her mind. Get off right here. She succumbs to this directive, gathers up her two small children, steps off of the train in the middle of the night into a blizzard. 
but she happens to be in the village called Byerzon Mumshala. She walks now for several blocks against the driving wind. Her children now are beginning to freeze, literally, until she comes to a particular house. Now, all of the homes in Kazakhstan have a similar profile, and most of the homes in Kazakhstan, especially in these small villages, have fences around them, security fences. They're tall fences, wire fences, and have big iron gates on the front of them. And the reason for that is because the Kazakhs sense the need to protect their assets. The, the economy in Kazakhstan is very, very poor and very weak. And so folks, what they have, they want to protect from one another. Now the Kazakhs culturally are very hospitable. So if you're from outside of Kazakhstan, they will welcome you warmly. And they will accept you into their home and they'll give you anything they have in order to be hospitable to you. But Kazakhs toward other Kazakhs, not as warm. And, and so this woman, fully aware of her own culture, realizes that it's going to be a long shot for any other Kazakh to help her under these circumstances. And yet she's walking down the street and again, an impulse, a thought goes through her mind. Stop at this house. Now, of course, she's desperate, and she and her children are freezing, and so she begins to bang on this big metal gate in front of this house, and she bangs on the gate, and you can, you can imagine uh, the dogs, just about every property owner owns a dog. Now, these are not pet dogs like we have, you know, in our, in our homes in America. These are guard dogs, and these are nasty, nasty beasts. They're not treated well. They're mistreated, and they're angry for the most part. All of them are chained up to protect property. You can hear the dogs barking. I mean, you can just imagine in the middle of the night, she is desperate. Finally, a light comes on at the house, and a man comes out of the house to open the gate. This man and his wife, by the way, happen to be among the first converts to Christianity in all of Kazakhstan. They are, this husband and wife, two of the people that members of our team who had moved to Bayerjan two years earlier had befriended and had led to Jesus. And not only are they some of the first, the first two believers in Kazakhstan, <laughs> they are historically probably the first two believers in Bayerjan Mumshala. Mumshala itself is a, is a village that's are probably over a thousand years old. It's been there for generations and generations. And so imagine now the historical context. These are two people who are followers of Jesus in a town that has seen generations for a thousand years come and go without anybody knowing about Jesus. But these two know Jesus. And so he opens his gate and this woman then steps up on the back porch of their house where the light is shining and this husband and wife listen to her tell her story. And when they hear her story, they look at each other briefly and then the man turns to the woman and says to her, and I quote, we are followers of Jesus. You are welcome here. Against all of conventional culture, against all odds, against all hope, we are followers of Jesus. You are welcome here. The story I've just told you is so outrageous. 
that there are people in this room you don't believe it. It is, it is so extreme that if I weren't telling you the story, you probably wouldn't accept it as true. It's too fantastic. But it, it's actually true. It actually happened. And I'll remind you that God made a promise through the prophet Isaiah. And he said, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Old Testament saints, they had a concept of God, but it wasn't a complete concept. They understood that there was a God above them. Yeah, he's big and he's high and he's Jehovah Almighty God. He's up there. He's above us. And they knew that there was a God who was occasionally for them, you know, when they were in battle or they were enjoying prosperity. So God is for us. And when they weren't doing so well, they imagined a God who was against us and when they experienced his judgment from time to time, but not a God who is with us. That was a concept that completely escaped them. It wasn't part of their reality. It wasn't part of their understanding of who God is. And yet now, as it turns out, it has always been in the heart of God to be the God who is with us in every conceivable way that represents intimacy for human beings, the same way a mother holds her child, the same way that you feel when you stand at the graveside of a loved one who is now past and it's broken your heart and you feel the depth of that grief, the intimacy of that kind of moment. When you have done your very best, you've tried your hardest, you've given it all you've got, and whatever it is you tried, it failed. And the disappointment, the level of anguish over trying something and giving it your all, and it still didn't work. The poignancy of that. And yet here is a God who is offering himself and presenting himself a lowly child in a manger despised by man, rejected by his own, and ultimately sent to the cross to be crucified for our sins. This is the God who says, I am not only above you, I am not only uh, occasionally for you, I am the God who is with you. It's a great promise. It's a great promise. It's a wonderful promise. It means, it means that you're never alone. You see, our God has scars he has scars, physical scars, and other kinds of scars that have come from the things like rejection and desertion and betrayal that all of us identify with. Jesus experienced all those things. Our God has scars. If we weren't so modest today, we could show each other our scars, physical scars. Jesus has scars, though. You understand the importance of that. It means that he identifies with us. He understands when your friends desert you. His friends deserted him. Think about it. He understands when your enemies mock you. His enemies mocked him. He understands when your loved one betrays you. When you give your heart to someone and they betray you. He understands that. It happened to him. He understands what it's like to stand weeping at the graveside of a loved one. He wept at the graveside of someone he loved. He understands what temptation is about. He, under, he understands what struggling to do God's will is about. The Bible says that he actually struggled with doing God's will to the point of sweating blood. He gets that. He understands suffering. 
He understands the depth of suffering. He, he drank the, the dregs of suffering. Jesus, Jesus even knows what the last hour of life is like. The hotness of your breath, the coldness of your hands in the final hour. He's been there. He identifies with us. And so this is the message of Christmas, friends. It is a hopeful promise. And the message is you can let life do to you whatever it will. And life will hand you stuff. Can take your dreams. Let life take your health. Like, let life take your loved ones. Let life take from you the capacity to reason and figure things out. But don't ever let life take from you the certainty that God is with you. That he will never forsake you. That he will never, ever leave you alone. Because he is the God who has come to us in Christ. He is Emmanuel, God who is with us. How great is that? How good is that? How wonderful a promise is that? Let me just say, there's no promise more wonderful. No power, no, no more powerful promise. No more real than the promise of Christmas. In Jesus Christ, God is Emmanuel. God with you today. God with you tomorrow. God with you forevermore. This same Jesus Christ who came to the earth came not only as creator God, but he came as Emmanuel. God is with us. Well, there's a second point I want to make today. This promise isn't only to be received, but this promise is to be shared. Yeah, it kind of works both ways that way. We're meant to be in the presence of God in the lives of others so that God is with us and God calls us to be with the people yet to experience this hopeful message. And so this is the call of God. Let me just remind you of the people who were most drawn to Jesus that Jesus tended to attract. The people who most quickly fell in love with Jesus, these are people that were marginalized by society. These are the folks who were outcast. They were pushed to the edge. These are the ones the Pharisees, religious folks, called sinners. These are the folks, when you hear their story, you think they're the ones who should be most ashamed and embarrassed and guilty for their life. And it's fascinating. These are the very people who fell quickly in love with Jesus, who were drawn to Jesus. They were magnetized to Jesus. It's fascinating, isn't it? Ever wonder why? Why did people on the margins go so quickly to Jesus? Answer's pretty simple. When everyone else was pushing them away, Jesus was pulling them close. When other, when other people condemned them, Jesus offered comfort. When they were experiencing sickness and disease, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and being pushed to the margins, Jesus healed them. He healed them. Yeah. When... when folks were judging them for their sins, Jesus was forgiving them. Neither do I condemn you. Go on, sin no more. And so we see this model of Jesus who was loving people, accepting people, and forgiving people. And it's the model that we are called to embrace today. Now, friends, let me just remind you. Our world is lost. It's broken. It's confused. Our world is angry. Our world is full of itself and empty of God. And much of our world today hates the church, hates the church, and finds the gospel offensive. It's true. 
So what are we to do? I mean, we live in a day when folks are just angry toward anything that represents Christian virtue and value. Heck, we even live in a time when members of the institutional church, the institutional church actually find the gospel offensive. It's crazy time. So what are we to do? Let me tell you what we're to do. We are to share the promise of of Christmas. Share the promise of Christmas. That's what we do. The virgin was with child, gave birth to a son, and he is called Emmanuel, God with us. That's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 23. With us. With people. Not against people. Above them, yes. Among them, yes. But with them. That is the promise. Now, how can we be with people? The people that we're trying to reach. Well, a few th- subpoints. Here's A. It's on your outline. Seek to understand. Seek to understand, folks. All of us carry something. You do, I do, we all do. We've lost something, we've been hurt, we've had dreams broken, we have guilt, we have emptiness, loneliness, that bad decision we're ashamed of, that fear that we don't have what it takes, that nagging suspicion that if the people around me really knew what I was like, they would reject me. People suffer from these things. And so we all have personal issues. And so we need to seek understanding of people who also have issues. I've got issues, and everybody I'm trying to reach has issues. And so we seek to understand. And then, then there's the whole influence of culture. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, he said, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He was suggesting that there's a world system, there's a, there's a, a culture that tries to squeeze us into its mold. And our culture in today's world is an insidious an insidious culture. And our culture promises us many, many things. It promises us salvation, if you will, through technology, possessions, pleasures of the flesh. Or if we just have enough friends and followers and likes on social media. You know, there are young people now taking their lives, committing suicide because of Twitter spats. I didn't get enough likes on my Facebook page, you know, Life isn't worth living. Seriously. Our culture has promised us salvation. Our culture has promised us love and acceptance and forgiveness. And our culture has failed on its promise. And people are lost and they're dying and they're hurting. Friends and coworkers of yours, family members, who have experienced everything the world has to offer, And yet they are left wondering, is this all there is? People you know personally who are disappointed and confused and unfulfilled and disillusioned, not understanding how it is that they can have all of this abundance around them all the time and still be left without peace, without contentment. That's our world. Often those who are difficult to love or even like. Do you love that person? Heck, I don't even like them. There are people like that, of course. They are the way they are because they're hurting inside. You understand, hurt people hurt people. And it happens in families, and it happens in businesses. It happens every day. And often those who are angry about religion or have given up on God, these are people who believe that God has given up on them. It's not true. It's actually not true. The God we serve, this promise of Christmas is God is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's with us. So like Jesus, we must 
try to understand, see their hearts and understand their struggle. Here's a second thing just to be sensitive to, and that's we must remember our own stories. You need the word remember. Remember your own story because something unfortunate can happen to us as Christians after God has saved us from our sins and changed our hearts and get us in a better place. What can happen is we can forget how lost we were. I want you to think about that for a second. How lost you were. How desperate, how confused, how hopeless we were. How willing we were to do just about anything to make the pain go away. Remember those days? We can be tempted to say, you know, what's wrong with people? What's wrong with them? What's wrong with you? I figured it out. Why can't you figure it out? I got my life straightened out. Why can't you get your life straightened out? And we can become judgmental, harsh, hard. But the fact is we're all human, right? We all have a story. We all get lost and we all need to be found and we all become wounded and need to be healed. So it's good for us. It's appropriate for us to remember our story because that will help you be with others. That will help you empathize with the struggle that others are feeling. So we must remember and then here's one last thing, and it's C, we must care. We must care about other people's stories. When we tell people that God is with them and that they can trust Jesus, you know, I trusted Jesus and you can trust Jesus. When I trusted Jesus, he changed my life. He really helped me. And if you trust Jesus, he will really help you. And so you're asking people to trust in Jesus, but let me tell you what you're also asking people to do. You're asking them to trust in you. No, trust me. Trust me on this. You say yes to Jesus. You receive the promise of Jesus. It'll be better. Here's what I've discovered. You can't earn that trust. The trust of other people by telling them how bad they are and acting superior to them. It takes humility, rather. It takes compassion. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? See, Jesus left the comforts of heaven and was born in a manger, disappointed by friends, rejected by the masses, crucified on a cross so that we can trust him with our own pain. So what enables people to trust us is our genuine care for their lives and for their stories. I don't know about you, but very few people ever get argued into the kingdom. They very, very rarely get lectured in to the kingdom you bad, no good for nothing person. You're, you better get right with God or else. No thanks. Most people, if you'll remember your story, you know, some of you probably did, you know, run from hell to uh, find Jesus. But most of us came to Jesus because someone put on display in a genuine, caring way the love of Jesus. His acceptance, his forgiveness. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Many years ago when we were trying to sort out what people God may ask us to adopt and try to reach for Jesus, in that process, many of us uh, spent time traveling around the world just uh, experiencing other cultures and praying and asking God for direction and one day, I, with uh, three other members of our church, uh, four of us men were on a trip. We went, literally, we went around the world. And we were in Johor Bahru, Malaysia, on a Friday night. I was in my 30s at the time. And 
we went to a very, very large mosque. Malaysia is a country that's about 98% Muslim. And we went to a mosque to observe the call to prayer on a Friday night. Friday night's when Muslims gather uh, for their weekly gathering. And of course, men only. And uh, women don't qualify to go to the mosque in the Muslim faith. Uh, it's a different category. And so we stood there and watched 6,000 men gather at this particular mosque for the called prayer. It was quite dramatic. And watching them do their ceremonial washing and, and then enter the mosque and, the, of course, the loudspeakers uh, blaring out the prayers. It was very dramatic, very poignant. And we were there and a, a van load of young men pulled up and got out and, and we noticed them and... I heard one of them speak English, and so I went over to this guy, and he was a young man about my age at the time, and we struck up a conversation as, as they were going in, and his name was Abdul Reza, and Abdul said to me, because his English was good, he said, uh, my friends and I are on a pilgrimage, a spiritual pilgrimage, and we've come here to Malaysia to a retreat center, a hostel, a Muslim hostel, if you will, has its own name, a, 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 what's the thing called, a, a Sarah, or something like that, a Sarah, I think. And he said, we're going there, that's where we're staying, would you like to come and meet with us tomorrow at the hostel, and, we, and we'll have lunch together? And I said, that's great, we'll, we'll, we made a date. So, so the next day on Saturday, we went to this Sarah, and there were a handful of these Muslim men with Abdul Reza and the four of us. And we sat down on a concrete floor and, and we shared a common bowl of rice and chicken parts. Uh, right hand in the bowl only, please. And it's another story. I can share that with you offline. It's not... Muslim culture. My friend, who knew a lot more Muslim culture than I did at the time, he kept leaning over saying, right hand only, right hand only. Okay, I got it. And we sat there for three hours. And Abdul Reza tried to convince me to become a Muslim. And I argued with him about being a follower of Jesus. And this went on for three hours. At the end of three hours, Abdul Reza reached over to me and he, and he grabbed my hand. And he looked me right in the eyes and he said, and he said, Brother Greg, you must become a Muslim. And I said, my friend Abdul, I ask you, I beg you, become a follower of Jesus. And we both smiled at each other because we knew neither one of us <laughs> were going to abandon our faith. And that was after three hours of arguing. Most people don't get argued in. Most people don't get lectured in or guilted in, shamed their way in. Just about all of us come in because someone expresses the love, empathy, care, compassion, forgiveness, and acceptance of the love of God. That's why we come in. And that's the way it goes. And that's the call of God on each one of our lives, to offer the same hope in a loving, careful way. Our job is then to live as models of God with us 
and to share that wonderful hope with the people around us. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. We'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. Could I ask you to bow your heads and let's pray about this just for a moment. Hear that phrase again, God with us. God with us. You know, you could personalize it. Could I challenge you right now? Just maybe the phrase, God with me. God with me. God is with me. Let me invite you while we're praying. Let me invite you just to say that. Whisper that just loud enough that only you can hear it. God is with me. God is with me. Go ahead. Just whisper it. God is with me. God is with me. He, see, he knows your name. He knows your need. He knows your story. He knows everything about you, friend. He knows, he knows the pain, the disappointment, the betrayal, the rejection. He knows the wounds. He understands your life. He knows. He gets it. And he's with you. God is with me. God is with me. Friends, life can take, life can take a lot of things from us. But don't let anything in life take from you this wonderful truth, this promise that God is with us. Lord Jesus, today we stand in awe with a heart full of gratitude at the wonder of your promise to be Emmanuel, God with us today and tomorrow and forever. Lord, we thank you. You're a God who truly understands our struggles. You lived in our world. You experienced life in the same ways that we do. Thank you for your compassion on us. You're not against us. You're for us. You're with us. For recognizing that we're just sheep in need of a shepherd. So help us have that same compassion for others, reaching out to love them just as you have loved us. And with your help, Lord, we will seek to share the promise of Christmas, not only in this season, but all of our days. Now, friends, if you're in the room today and you've never personally received this promise, you've never said yes to Jesus and his gift of life and love and acceptance and forgiveness, do you'd like to be included in his family, adopted, grafted in, to be included? I'm going to pray a prayer right now. I'll say the words, and if you hear these words and believe them in your heart, God will hear your prayer. He'll answer your prayer. Hear the words. Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins. Be my Savior and Lord. I want to belong to you and your great family. Thank you for being the God who is with us. Thank you for meeting me at the point of my need, my journey, my story. Thank you that from this moment forward, I realize I am never alone. And I pray these things in your precious name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us now as we sing?